This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsip, and it is Saturday, and we have a U.S. men's national team roster to discuss. The new roster for the November World Cup qualifiers is out, and yes, there were some surprises. Uh, one was injury related, and one was definitely not injury related. But there's plenty to dig into there. We also have a new U20 men's national team coach and a roster to discuss. Well, we won't get so much into the whole roster, but it's good news. U20 team will be in action playing in the Revelations Cup in matches you'll be able to watch on TV. How great is that? We have Americans abroad to discuss. And NWSL playoffs also begin this weekend. And then we have Decision Day, MLS Decision Day. 26 teams in action, 13 matches, playoff spots on the line, playoff seeds on the line. So we'll get into all of that. And obviously we'll start with that U.S. men's national team roster. Greg Berhalter making a few decisions, making a few picks that definitely had some people scratching their heads. And some omissions, at least one major omission that I think uh, is definitely going to lead to some questions and is already leading to some questions and rightfully so, because I, who, who had John Brooks being left off the squad, off the roster? I, I know I didn't did see that one coming. First things first, Christian Pulisic is back. Good news. We knew it was we knew it was coming. He already had already returned for Chelsea. So once you saw that. You know he'd be included in the squad. So that's it's still good news to see him back in. First time since September, and he's gonna play he's gonna have a big part to play. Is he is he fit enough to start two matches, two qualifiers? That's that feels like a tall order. And knock on wood, he still has to get through the weekend. Chelsea plays Burnley, they host Burnley on Saturday. So if you're listening to this on early Saturday morning. Either he's about to play, or if you're listening to it later in the morning, later in the day, Pulisic will have played already. And hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully he starts. Get some minutes, build build up that that workload heading into the World Cup qualifiers. But he he's going to have a part to play. Berhalter, I, I, I feel like Pulisic will start one of these two matches and play in both. I don't see him necessarily just being a super sub or being someone who you just bring in off the bench for those matches. He's going to start one of those. It, might it be asking a lot for him to start against Mexico? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's ready. I think he. I think it, it'll be tough to keep him off that field in Cincinnati. If he's fit, you go. You got to have him on the field. He'll get it done. So no, no, no surprise there. Gio Reyna is not back yet. He's still injured, and uh, the word, the latest word from Dortmund is that there's still no timetable. Uh, Marco Rose, the Dortmund manager, basically said, hopefully by the end of the year, before the end of the year, he can be back. So basically, it sounds like they don't really know. He's obviously had some issues now with with the hamstring that he injured in September. He's had setbacks, obviously. I think he he was spending some time in the U.S. at at this point. I think he was in Austin with his father. I think there were some Giorena sightings. Unfortunately, those sightings have not been on the field, and it still remains to be seen when he'll be back. But knock on wood... He'll be back for January and the qualifiers in January slash February. It's kind of crazy to think he's missed five of the six qualifiers. Giorena, the you know, you could argue along with Pulisic. You know, I think the consensus, most people would say Pulisic's the best player on the U.S. team. But Giorena, you could say, is right up there. Top three or top four already at the age of 18. But no, he's that good. Unfortunately, he's been out of action. And the U.S. will have to make do one more time. That one we knew was happening. We kind of, we had already heard about it. We, he obviously hasn't been back for Dortmund. So no surprise there. The one that was a bit of a surprise, Serginho Dest will not play in the November World Cup qualifiers and talk about bad timing. Uh, apparently a back injury. The same, you know, he, he obviously sat uh, Barcelona's most recent match in, in champions league. And at the time it seemed like, okay, look, he needs a rest. He's played a bunch of games in a row, but apparently it wasn't just rest. Apparently he is injured. And Greg Berhalter uh, revealed that he, you know, Des was on the roster up until Thursday morning, seven, I think seven in the morning before the announcement of the roster, which I think was, let's say 11, 
So that that's it's just, that's a big blow. Let's not forget Dest was arguably the U.S. team's best player in the October qualifying uh, window. We all remember the the big game he had against Costa Rica and the beautiful goal that he scored. He also played well against Jamaica. Let's not forget that. And the, if the, the consolation in the disappointment of the Dest news is that Joe Scally earns his first call up, and that's big. That's great. He's earned it. 18-year-old starting 12 straight matches in all competitions for the Bundesliga side Borussia Mönchengladbach. And he's really done well. To the, I mean, it still blows me away that he's 18 years old and he, he's been playing fullback with the poise of a veteran. Now, having said that, I think people need to chill out because I've seen already talk about, well, he better start. And it's like, yo, calm down, all right? This is literally his first camp. With the senior team, first time playing with these with with a lot of these most of these players. Obviously, there's U17 former U17 teammates, but he needs to learn the system. Uh, the you know the role in that system for him. His time's coming. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's already shown that. Look, he has quality. He's going to challenge for playing time. Like that's coming, but expecting. Greg Berhalter to go with a, a an unproven international defender, a fullback against, especially against these teams. I mean, settle. I mean, really, you're going to put Joe Scali in his first match for the national team? You're going to start him against Mexico? No, that's not realistic. Just isn't. You're going to start him. I mean, hey, look against Jamaica. I mean, he could go up against Leon Bailey, who's part of the Jamaica squad. I think he'll get on the field in one of these qualifiers. But start, that's that feels like a tall order, especially when you have some veterans in there. And, of course, obviously a lot of fans, not a lot, some fans are always going to go for the new thing, the new player. The new player has to be good, has to be better than the old players. They have to be, the young guy has to be better than the older guys. And Scally looks the part. No, you know, don't get me wrong there, but you have DeAndre Edlin, who's most likely, to, in, my pick, in my opinion, the pick to start. Against Mexico, but you also have Reggie Cannon now. Reggie Cannon's called, been called in, and obviously he had fallen off the radar because he'd been injured. He hadn't played in, in a while at Boa Vista, but now he's actually gotten back into the starting lineup. He started four consecutive matches now for Boa Vista. Got a red card in his last game, actually. So he uh, he'll be nice and rested this weekend. He won't be playing this weekend. He'll be, you know, I'd imagine he'd be arriving early to U.S. camp. But between Cannon and Yedlin. You have two players who have both faced Mexico multiple times in some big matches. I know Cannon, you know, obviously played against Mexico in the Gold Cup final. Uh, DeAndre Yellen's played against Mexico in World Cup qualifying. Nations League as well. He played part. He played a part in the Nations League uh, final in the summer. So I, I have a feeling Berhalter's feeling pretty comfortable with those two fullbacks. Now, look, they, neither of them. He's going to give you the dynamic attacking quality that Serginho Dest does, right? But that's not really Scally's game either. I mean, Scally, I mean, he just recently got his first Bundesliga assist, and he does give you something getting forward. But I think where Scally's really impressing and is, is where he has impressed so far is with his his defensive qualities, his tenacity and his you know fearlessness and his poise, which is well beyond his years. I mean, 18, it blows me away that he's still just 18, but... I just don't see him getting ahead of the, either Yedlin or Cannon in the pecking order. This this camp, I, I, I'd imagine, is the first chance for him to get a sense for everything, to learn the system, learn the position. He'll get on the. I think he'll get on the field for at least one of these matches. Don't get me wrong, but if he doesn't start, I don't think. I think people, if anyone who freaks out about him not starting is just not realistic. Now, if he goes into camp, it just lights it up and is just like he shows it. He shows. Berhalt or something? Could he start? I mean, I don't want to say it's impossible, but I just don't see it. I don't see it. Not this window. You get him on the field, close out a game, get some minutes, get that first taste of qualifying. Sure, absolutely. But you're not going to throw him in already as a starter. Don't see it. His time's coming, though. He's shown enough at this point that you can... You like his chances to develop into a a legitimate starting candidate for this U.S. team. 
And the great news is that he's versatile. He can play left back. He can play right back. He's obviously a natural right back. But, you know, you have Anthony Robinson right now, the first choice left back. But you, you also have Sam Vines who's come in now, come back, uh, you know, first time qualifying. And he was injured, but he's back. But Scally can compete with him. I think they're, I think he's right there with him. That even though he's not a natural left back, but you know what? He, he could have that chance. So we'll see. We'll see if Berhalter likes what he sees and, and gets a chance to put him on the field. But it wouldn't shock me at all if he doesn't play. It really wouldn't. It really wouldn't. Now, what did shock me, John Brooks being left off this roster. And I and you know if you listen to the last episode, you know it. I pretty much was like, nah, no way. He's you know so what that he looked bad against September. He's still John Brooks. Apparently that's not enough anymore. Uh, and look, Greg Berhalter, he he tried to explain it as being about the form, right? He alluded to it being Brooks's form with the national team that ultimately led to him missing out this time. Now. He hasn't played since September. We all remember how bad he looked against Honduras. We know he struggled against Canada. So, yeah, September, not a good window for him. He missed October with an injury. But I don't know if you can call it his form when it was in September that he had these struggles, right? So, I, if anything, I feel like I feel like maybe Berhalter, I don't want to say misspoke, but I think he... I think he conveniently didn't get into more detail about what really is the motivation here because I don't think it's form, right? Now, there's no denying Brooks wasn't in good form in September, club or country. After that September window, he went back to Wolfsburg, and he, he wasn't playing well. He was in and out of the lineup. He got that red card in Champions League. He, didn't, he wasn't playing well. No doubt about it, he was in bad form. But he's come out of it lately. Last couple matches, he's played well. Most recently in Champions League against Salzburg, he was he played very well. So form, if you're talking form, right now John Brooks is getting back into form. Is it really about form when you call in a Mark McKenzie who hasn't really been playing much uh, in Belgium with Genk? He's he started two matches. Uh, he's he started two out of what their last their past six matches since the last window since the October window. So he hasn't been. Playing consistently So is it really about form I don't think so I I think actually it's about A concern that Brooks can't do What Berhalter wants his center backs to be able to do Which is to press high Be able to Defend one on one in space Have that Quickness and and speed to, To be able to recover and not, not leave yourself exposed, not leave the defense exposed because you're slow. And look, John Brooks is an excellent center back. Don't get me wrong. But if he does have a weakness, is his lack of lateral quickness. In space, he can get beaten, especially by speed. Now, obviously, in the Bundesliga, when you talk about strikers in the Bundesliga, not to say they're all the same, they're not all big target strikers, but for the most part, a lot of the strikers in the Bundesliga are big target strikers obviously some some of them have some pace to them no question but in terms of uh being able, like brooks matches up well i think with the profile of the bundesliga center back so he does well there but now let's look at these players that, and opponents that you could be seeing in november when you talk about Mikel antonio uh when you talk about irving lozano and the in tecatito and the in the attack of mexico and the speed and quickness that the u.s is going to have to deal with if you're Burhalter and you really want your defender, you want your center backs to press high and and you know really put that pressure on, you got to be able to recover. You got to have that speed to get back. And Brooks, there's that question: Can he do that? So I could totally see Burhalter looking at what happened in in September, and you saw him get exposed. You saw Brooks get exposed against Canada with their speed. You definitely saw him struggle against Honduras. I mean, it's Honduras. Honduras is not a good team. He got caught up field, couldn't re- couldn't recover. I have a villain. Berhalter looked at that and said, you know what? None of these other guys that I have are as good a passer as John Brooks, but maybe they're better defenders. And maybe they're better equipped to press, to be able to press how I want my center backs to press and have that one-on-one ability to recover, that quickness to, to recover. We all, we all know what Miles Robinson has shown. 
in his recent matches. So he look, he's a, he's a starter. He's you you, pen, you pencil. He's the first name you pencil in at in in the back. But now you have Chris Richards, who we've all been you know I've been talking about for I don't know how long that his time would come. His time is it's an, it's going. It's not a matter of if but when. But he's here now, and you know he has that athleticism, that speed, but he can also pass. And that's not to say he's better than John Brooks right now. But for what Berhalter wants out of his defense, you could argue Richards is a better fit right now. Especially if you have concerns about Brooks's form, you have concerns about his how he matches up with some of the attackers you're going to see in this particular window. And then you have you obviously have a Walker Zimmerman as well. Zimmerman could start also. And Zimmerman, look, Zimmerman looked really good against Jamaica. He had a good October window. And he's, you know what, he's good in the air. He's a threat. He's a threat on set pieces. Um, he is a good defender, one on one v one. Is you know he's big, the big defender, but he's he's quicker. I would argue he's quicker than John Brooks. He's not a speedster by any means. He's not Miles Robinson or Chris Richards, but he can handle himself in space. Now the McKenzie one, and I, you know I rate McKenzie as well, but like the question, the reason I have a question about McKenzie over Brooks is because look, he hasn't been playing. But you can argue, you know what he in in the qualifiers, he's actually looked all right. He looked he's looked pretty good. He played better against Honduras than John Brooks did. So he's actually shown better in this qualifying cycle than John Brooks. So I I see that argument, but there's still the idea that, look, he hasn't been playing consistently. He has started one of Gank's past five matches. So he's played 74 minutes in their past five matches. That's a little bit of a concern. But for me, I don't think it's form with Brooks. I think it's he sees himself having uh, Berhalter sees himself having the center backs to do what he wants to do with his, with his system and with these particular opponents. And if you have three guys that you believe in, in Robinson, Richards and Zimmerman, do you bring in a Brooks? If you're really not going to see yourself starting him or do you let him stay in Germany let him stay at Wolfsburg. They have a new manager. Maybe that time there helps him. So I think that's what it is. Now, do I agree with that? I don't. I don't. I don't agree with it because I'm sorry. You bring Brooks. I think Brooks is enough of a, is enough of a professional that you know what? If he isn't chosen to start, I don't see him as one of these players who's going to make us stink about it. And the U.S. has had that those types of players slides those type of center backs before. So. I don't know. I it, for me that this one feels like a little bit trying to be a little be a little too smart for my money. Bring Brooks. You bring Brooks especially cuz he's playing well. He's starting to play well again. And I'll give John Brooks credit. He 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 responded and reacted to this the the omission pretty well. He uh he he gave a quote to to Doug McIntyre, my guy, Doug McIntyre Fox Sports. Basically saying, look, I, I know I didn't play well, and I know I need to do better, and I'm going to do everything I can to get better to get back in. Handle it like a pro. I mean, what else can he say? He's not going to, was he going to trash? Like, hey, what are you doing, Greg? Are you kidding? None of those guys are better than me. Again, this Kanye bag and say, oh, they can't, they can't none of those guys are, are as good as me. What are you doing? No, he handled it like a pro. And Berhalter himself said, we haven't seen, the, we, you know, we haven't seen the last of Brooks. And we haven't. He'll be back. But for me, I think it's a mistake that he didn't get called in. I do. And that's not to say I don't see the center backs that are in being able to do the job because I do. I see, I, you know what? I would love to see Robinson and Richards against Mexico. But I could also totally see Robinson and Zimmerman against Mexico. Especially if you have Jimenez start. I think Zimmerman, Robinson or Zimmerman can match up with Jimenez and not to say look he's a good striker it's not to say they could, they're going to shut him down but profile wise I think the matchups are it's not something you're going to be afraid of or or think that they'll be overmatched so that that one's going to bear watching because you know what if the center back struggle if they don't get the job done everyone is going to point to John Brooks being snubbed everyone and rightfully so because I for me, I don't see how you leave him off. And to be like, honestly, Berhalter, obviously, it, it probably at the, in the moment in the question and press conference uh, or in the Zoom call that we did, like, I'm sure in that moment, it was easy to kind of just say form. And it's about form. 
But I think if 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 he had given, been given the chance to elaborate, maybe maybe he would have given a little more insight and maybe shed some light on the idea that yes, you know what, it's not so much about form; it's about what he what he's good at and what he's not good at, and what I want for my center backs in this particular window. And we'll see if Robinson, Zimmerman, and Richards can deliver what he wants. And if if they do, then you know what? Everyone's going to look at this and say, oh, maybe he was on to something. But I do think it's about that. And Brooks is, you know, maybe his lack of quickness and in, in, in his less than ideal pressing ability more than form. And I think what what supports that idea is the fact that Tim Ream is also not included. And I know some people say, oh, Tim Ream, he shouldn't. Why should he even be considered? Be, well, he should be considered because Bert Halter has consistently called him in, consistently included him in his plans, and now Tim Ream's actually playing well. Anyone who's following the league championship or follows the league championship, Fulham is, is playing very well, and Tim Ream is playing very well. Now, you take that and include the fact that Ream did pretty well for himself when given the opportunity, when he was given the chance to start against El Salvador. In the very first qualifier, he played well. So if you look at that, you're like, oh, well, if it's about form, right? Quote, unquote, form. Tim Ream's in good form. So I don't think it's about form. I think it's Berhalter in his idealized vision of what he wants from his defense in this window. He wants a back four with the speed and athleticism to pressure. And really squeeze the opposing attacks, but still be able to recover when, if and when those opposing attacks break through. And, and we all remember Brooks against Honduras getting exposed in space. He got caught up field, out of position, couldn't get back. The U.S. defense gives up that goal, and they're losing to Honduras. And if that happens against Honduras, what's going to happen against Mexico? And their loaded full strength attack. What's going to happen against Jamaica, which will have Mikel Antonio and Leon Bailey for the November qualifier? Now, is this Berhalter overthinking this whole situation? Possibly. I think so. But I do think there's logic. I just think he chose his words poorly because when as soon as you do the form thing and you say it's about form, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Because then that puts the light on everybody. It puts the light on the entire roster. And like clockwork, that's exactly what happened. People were like, oh, wait, form? What about these other guys? What about these other one, two, three, four, five guys that are not in necessarily great form or haven't been in great form for the national team? What's their excuse? And of course it happened. Even though in some of the cases, it's like, listen, guy, John Brooks is a center back. You want to talk about center backs? Let's talk center backs. But don't be like, well... John Brooks is in, if John Brooks is in good form, what about this, you know, winger, this midfield, you know, this central midfielder? Like, no, I get it. I get it. I get why people uh, will point to that and say, well, this is a bit of a double standard here. Because if John Brooks is being held to the standard for what he did in September, what about the guys who look bad in October? Why are they coming back? And there are some of those. No question. Sebastian Legette did not have an, a, a good October window. Kellen Acosta did not have a good October window. So I get that. Let me be the first to say, I get the reaction. I don't necessarily agree, agree with some of the reaction and some of the predictable backlash because certain players have been called in again. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. We know, we get it, we get it. There's a contingent of fans that don't believe Sebastian Lejet, Christian Roldan, Paul Ariola. Kellen Acosta should be on the national team. There's that group. There's that there's that group of fans wants does not want to see any of those guys again. Period. They're not good enough, according to this segment of the fan base. And and everyone's entitled to the opinions. I just for me, it's just I don't when I hear the people who should be getting called in, or I like again, I've said it before, and not to crap on Luca Delator because Luca Delator, you know what? He's he's in, he's having himself a nice r- stint in his career right now, playing in the Netherlands, playing for Heracles. He's playing well, and you can argue he he he. You could almost argue he played better in this past month 
than he did in the month before the October window when he was called in. So I get that. But let's not act like Luca Delator is, is this, you know, he, he's like Weston McKinney. He's not. And I'm still I'm still waiting for a legitimate argument that Luca Delator is absolutely unquestionably better than Sebastian Legette or Kellen Acosta. And obviously different players, I get it. Different profiles, what have you. But I just have not heard it. And then obviously we have the Paul Ariola versus Conrad Delafuente argument. That's another one. And are we really forgetting that Paul Ariola played well against Jamaica in October? That was another one, right? Because it's like, oh, some of these these guys have haven't never played well. They've never played it's like selective amnesia for some people. Like Kellen Acosta didn't look good in the summer. Like Kellen Acosta didn't play well in Nations League final against Mexico. Sebastian Legette, first half of the year in, in early games, he's looked he's played well for the national team. He's had good games. But there's that, you know what? I don't like these I don't like these guys, so you know what? Unless they score a hat trick, I'm not giving them their credit. Because they're not in my mind, that's it. I have made up my mind these guys are bad. And Luca Delator is, you know, Iniesta reborn. Now what I will say and what I will agree with is that at a certain point you gotta produce. And at a certain point, if you don't bring it for a few windows, there should be that possibility that you get pushed out. And we saw it with Brooks and Sebastian Legette. You know what? This November window is an important one for for Sebastian Legette. He's got to play well. If and when he's given the opportunity, Sebastian Legette has to play well. Because I will agree, he could could have shown more in these past months. Now, again, selective, selective amnesia. Let's not forget now Sebastian Legette against Honduras in the second half. He was one of the key players in that turnaround. Everyone remembers Ricardo Pepe because he's the golden child now. Everybody remembers Brendan Aronson because, you know, he's obviously come come along and, and is playing really well. But people just want to forget that Sebastian Legette had a part to play there. He played well. And some of those same people will forget that Christian Roldan had a part to play there. Or that Christian Roldan had a part to play in the Gold Cup. To help the U.S. get to the final. So, yeah, I'm not. I, look, I, full disclosure, I'm not sitting here and saying that Legette, Roldan, Acosta, and Ariola, that they are absolute locks that should always absolutely be on the roster and that they're, you know, that they should start. No. But I think there is an argument for them. And the idea that, no, there's no justifiable reason for them to be on there. Or the idea that they've done nothing to warrant being called in again. I just, just, that's not reality. I'm sorry, folks. It's not reality. It's just not. And also, the players that I see a lot of people, like, asking for or, or saying, you know, these guys should be in instead. I don't see the arguments in terms of what they've done. Conrad Delafonte shown some good things at Marseille, no question. But for the U.S. men's national team, in the opportunities that he's been given, hasn't shown much. I know he showed some glimpses against El Salvador, but I feel like that that's taken on a life of its own. There's a little, myth- little mythology there that, you know, Conrad Delafente was great against El Salvador. He showed some things. But there are questions. Can he press? Is he going to press enough in that role, which is what you really need? I didn't see enough. And if you look at the minutes, apparently Baralta didn't see enough either because he, El Salvador, he gets to start. Canada, he gets a few minutes. And in the Honduras game, he doesn't even play. And now when you look at Marseille, he's actually he's seen his numbers, his minutes go down at Marseille. So he's not even, it's not like he's lighting it up at Marseille right now. Now that's not to say that his time won't come. It's not to say that he doesn't have talent because look, Conrad Delfonte is a super talented player. He's young. He's still coming into his own as a player. But to, but the idea that right now you plug him in, he absolutely is going to torch everyone and light it up. Like, not like based on what? What are you basing it on, people? Tell me, please. Because, like, I see that the qualities that he brings as a prospect and the potential that he could have. But there's a big gap. There's a big jump between that and the view that some people have that, you know what, if you got to bring him in because he would absolutely torch it. 
based on what with the national team? What has he done with the national team to lead you to believe that? Tell me. I would love to know. I would love to hear it because I haven't seen it. Whereas John Brooks, absolutely, if you want to argue for John Brooks, if you want to say, you know what, John Brooks, he has been absolutely dominant at times. He's played. He's been huge in big matches. We all remember the Gold Cup, uh, the World Cup goal he scored against Ghana. Obviously, that was a long time ago, but still, he did it. We all remember him dominating the Copa America centenario. There's a case there. There's a body of work there. There's a resume there. There's legitimate evidence there. Some of these other guys, not so much. Luka Delator, nice player, coming into his own, continuing to develop. But the perception that some people have of, of, of Luka Delator just doesn't doesn't line up with reality. It just doesn't. So you know what? It is what it is. Some people are just gonna have players they don't rate, and they're gonna have some players that they rate, or some profiles that they rate. Because honestly, I think Luka Delator just the fact that he plays in Europe consistently. You're going to have people who are going to just gush about him. Even though some of these people who are gushing on him, I have a feeling haven't seen him play much. Not live, not actual games. Maybe Luca Del Toro proved me wrong. Maybe he'll get called in in, in January and just, and just lock in the starting role. And I'll be the first to say I was wrong. But I'm not sold right now. So moving on from that rant, apologies for, for dragging on for that long about that. But you know what? It's just, it's just interesting to me. Because I know some people are going to say, oh, you know, you're defending the MLS guys. You're an MLS guy. I like, I, no, I'm, I'm much and much. I, I'll be, I'll say this. I am much less an MLS guy, quote unquote, than I used to be. I'm not, I'm not sitting here blindly viewing MLS as this amazing, like top league in the world. It's not. No, I would not. I would not say that. But I think some of these players deserve a little more respect for what they've done at times for the national team. It's not even about MLS. Because, you know what, some people could say, hey, you know what, Christian Rodan, who cares if he's dominating in MLS this year? Who cares if he's playing at a best 11 level in MLS this year? It's MLS. Okay, fine. I get that. But to say it doesn't mean anything and to say it that he's done absolutely nothing for the national team or he hasn't shown some good things, he has. He absolutely has. He showed some things in the Gold Cup. Now, was it all great? No. Has he shown some things in qualifying? Yes. So he, you know what? He's going to keep getting calls because he's done things. He's, he's, he's made things happen. Same thing with Ariola. Same thing with Legette. Although Legette, I'll say, in no, and I said it already, November, we need to see something out of Legette. Because his stock is down. If we're going to do stock up, stock down, Legette's stock is down. I'll fully, I'll fully agree with that. He did not play well against Panama. He was, yeah, no, he wasn't alone. A lot of players didn't play well against Panama, but he was. It was surprisingly like bad how how bad he was. Now he wasn't alone. Kellen Costa was bad. Paul Ariola was bad. But so you know what? Yunus Musa wasn't good either. And we saw what happened next game. Costa Rica. Yunus Musa, amazing. So we'll see. I mean, I'll be when it comes down to it. I don't know if I don't necessarily see. Any of those guys necessarily playing key starting roles in this window. I think some of them can come off the bench, no question. We know Kellen Acosta is basically Tyler Adams' cover right now. Ariola is absolutely in the mix for minutes as a winger. But I don't know if any of these four guys are necessarily going to have prominent roles in this window. Which makes all the hand-wringing about them being called back in just kind of what like I don't know there's a lot of whining going on that's what it boils down to it's just a lot of whining and you know what Every, again everyone's entitled to their opinions and you know what I mean I'm here I'm I'm whining about John Brooks I'm like I don't get it I disagree I think Berhalter should have called John Brooks in so you, I guess I, I'm guilty of the same thing but I got some I got some evidence here I got some I have some facts to back it up. I've got some proof of Brooks's body of work and his f- level of play with the national team. We'll see. We'll see this window if those if the MLS contingent can reward uh, Berhalter's faith, or even if they or if they even have to, because it's not a, it's not a given that they're necessarily going to play a ton. Now, speaking of MLS contingent, Jesus Ferreira was another somewhat of a surprise. But I think it's the bigger surprise that Berhalter only called in Ricardo Pepe in terms of 
true natural strikers. You had Josh Sargent, you had Jordan Pifak, you had Daryl DK, all on the radar, all believed to be in contention. And then when Jossie, when Jossie Zardis was injured, recently, you know, a few weeks back, it seemed like that was going to open the door for one of these guys to get a call. And then none of them got a call. None, none of the three were called. Instead, it's Jesus Ferreira. And credit to Ferreira, he's been playing well. He's had a good season, bounce back season. Obviously, last season was a bit of a nightmare for him. But he's been on a run. I believe, I think it was, if I looked it up, it was like six, six goals, five assists in his last 13 matches for FC Dallas. Playing predominantly as an attacking midfielder, but still, with the U.S., he has played as a striker. He can operate as a false nine. He can drop back. He can combine. He help, he gives you that uh, pressure from the striker position. He can press high. He can press. He he has that, that quickness to be an effective presser. He's not your prototypical striker, obviously. He's not, you know, he's not, you know, six foot. He's not, well, he's not Pepe, obviously. He's his teammate. He plays with them. You know, they have that good rapport that they have. But this was an interesting one for me. And again, it's in line with the idea that Berhalter want, like, ideally, Berhalter wants a fast team, a quick team that can pressure all over the field. I think he sees that as the ideal for this group. You, if you have this young group, that can potentially smother opponents with that pressing, that ability to press all over the field at every position. Maybe that's maybe that's what you're kind of leaning leaning towards, trying to shift toward, capitalizing on that youth and that quality at multiple positions. So I think there's something to be said here. Maybe there's maybe there is a philosophical shift in Berhalter. In terms of what he wants to do. Because we all know when he first started, it was all about possession. And, you know, now, you know, maybe he's seeing the the, the benefits and the, the possibilities of really trying to pressure opponents. And having the young and athletic player pool that you have. And not just athletic, but quality. So many quality young players. That maybe he's seeing the possibilities. And maybe because of that, he's also seeing the fact that some of these other players that have been so, like, such regulars, like Brooks at, at, uh, at center back and like the, the Sergeant Peafock uh, tandem, maybe they don't fit as well in that idealized vision that Ber- maybe Berhalter is starting to see for his team. And I know not everyone's going to agree with that. Not everyone's going to love the idea of, is, of Brooks just falling out of the picture when he's still a quality center back. But maybe there's something here that we're going to see different in this window. And Burrell Travis hasn't talked about it much, but I don't know. It's kind of maybe this is just reading me, me reading the tea leaves. But when you see a coach really dramatically shift the the type of center back that they're calling in and the type of striker they're calling in. That feels like there's some going on here in terms of a change, in terms of a, a, a serious tweak in the approach. So we'll see. We'll see if that's what we see in these upcoming qualifiers. Now, moving on from the U.S. men's national team, there's a little U.S. under 20 news and the U.S. under 20 men's national team has named a new head coach. It's Mikey Varis, former FC Dallas assistant, uh, a coach who has obviously prior experience working with so many of these young FC Dallas Academy products. And he'll be coaching a very talented U20 team that will be, that will be heading to Mexico for the Re- Revelations Cup. Revelaciones Cup. And uh, the, the great part about it is that we'll be able to watch these matches on TV. They're playing, I believe, Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil. And that U-20 team will have Cade Cowell, Caden Clark, Justin Che, Gabriel Slonina, who, by the way, recently said in an interview with Hercules Gomez, or actually, was it Sebastian Salazar? It might have been Sebastian Salazar, or both of them, um, that he's still up in the air on the national team because he can play for Poland, I believe. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But 
the fact that he's accepting this U20 call-up bodes well. I mean, he's a very, very uh, interesting prospect, quality, young goalkeeper prospect. So it's good to see him in the fold. But, yeah, those matches are going to be worth watching for sure. And let's not forget now that the U20 tournament is basically going the, the CONCACAF under 20 World Cup qualifying tournament next year will serve also as the Olympic qualifying tournament. So you're talking major, major implications, importance. This team, I mean, this is a huge task, and there's a lot on the line for this team to do, that, to do well. And obviously there's a ton of talent in this age group, just with some of these names that I mentioned. And this is just the MLS contingent. We're not even talking about European-based players, although hopefully – You'll get be able to get some of those European based players to play to be part in that all important qualifying tournament with so much riding on the line for that tournament. You hope that they can work something out where you can see a, you know, Reina Musa, the Dest potentially. Like obviously, it's always tricky. It's always tricky getting players released uh, for non senior tournaments when they're already established first teamers for their clubs. So maybe that's a little bit of wish, wishful thinking, but. There's a lot of talent in that, you know, under 20 age group, no question about it. And you know what? Mikey Varis, hopefully he can get the job done and help this team qualify for the Olympics. Now, in other Americans abroad news, uh, going back to Serginho Dest, who's obviously not playing in the November qualifiers. However, Dest has been linked to interest from Chelsea. A report from uh, Catalonia uh, linked Chelsea and reportedly... Chelsea's willing to pay 25 million euros. Barcelona's looking for 35 million euros. Obviously, Ronald Koeman is out as manager now. He has officially been replaced by Xavi, which is great news if you're a Barcelona fan to see Xavi back at the Camp Nou. But there is that idea that, or the thinking that Koeman's departure will potentially mean that the Dutch contingent, the former Ajax contingent, could be on the way out. Some of, the, some of those players that Koeman has brought in Including Dest could be on the way out. Yeah, how much how much truth is there to that? I you got me on that. I I think Dest has shown enough that he he's shown enough to be considered part of the project going forward. However, we all know Barcelona has got financial trouble. They can get thirty five million. I think they'll sell Sergio Dest. Now, obviously Chelsea. When you talk about Chelsea, look Pulisic's there, so I, you know I I get that part. But also Reese James is there, and Dest. The thing about Dest is he's you could say he's ideally suited to play in that wing back role that Thomas Tuchel has in his setup. And he's also versatile enough to play either side. He can play left wing back, he can play right wing back, he can play right back, he can play left back. So those that versatility, I'm sure, if you're a team like Chelsea and you have the deep pockets and you can spend the money, a team like Chelsea does make sense for, for going after someone like Dest. Is it a great move? I mean, obviously, look, when you get to that type of level of team, no matter where you go, you're going to face competition. So I know some people will say, well, they already have these teams. Do you really want them to go there? You know what? You need deep squads and players play. Like if just because Reese James is there does not mean Des won't play if he goes there. You can see both of them play. And in other news, uh, Man City has signed Zach Steffen to a new deal, which obviously is uh, great to see. It's Obviously, City really does rate Stefan, and obviously he's in a tough spot when you have Ederson there, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, but it does make you wonder what will be the plan for next season, for the 2022-2023 season. I don't get the sense that they're necessarily going to loan Stefan out for the second half of this season. I feel like he's going to be the backup for the rest of this campaign, but... If you're Zach Steffen and you head into next season, you're going to ask yourself, do I, can I, do I really want to be on the bench again? Or should I make a move to get playing time in a World Cup year? And that's, that's the big thing to consider. You know what? A year from now, we'll be leading, we'll be, this will be the weeks heading into the World Cup. And Zach Steffen's already lost ground. You could argue he's lost his starting job with the U.S. Matt Turner, by all accounts and by, you know, by all rights, is the number one now. And if you're Zach Steffen and you want to get that number one spot back, I don't think you're going to get it done playing one game every month or one game every six weeks. Obviously, it's it was terrible news for, for Stefan that Man City was knocked out of the Carabao Cup because, you know, obviously they'd won that competition for I don't know how many years in a row. 
But that's four, like, I want to say at least three or four matches that he will now not be able to play because they got knocked out, you know, relatively early. So I am curious to see, I know some people will see the new deal and say, oh, well, I guess he's just going to be the backup. I don't think that's necessarily the case. If anything, I think City sees the value in Stefan. And maybe they still sell him. Maybe, you know, someone comes in and, you know, sees the quality and says, you know what, we want to sign him to be our starter. So I don't think people should necessarily assume that the new deal means that he won't be somewhere a year from now, whether by loan or whether by transfer. But I personally do not see Zach Steffen on the bench for Man City a year from now. I just don't see it. Not in the World Cup year, not when he has that chance to fight for a starting for this starting spot heading into the World Cup. And before we get into MLS Decision Day, I wanted to remind everyone that the NWSL playoffs take place this weekend. Chicago Red Stars hosting Carly Lloyd and Gotham FC. The Carly Lloyd farewell, farewell Tour is in Chicago. And you know what? They obviously have to win to keep it going because if they lose, it that's it for Carly Lloyd. So there is that idea of imagine if she can pull it off and give the team... You know, a title run farewell. Give Carly Lloyd a title run farewell. I know that's wishful thinking, and I know it's there's so much that would have to happen. I mean, they not only have to beat the Red Stars, then they have to beat the Thorns and the Semis. I mean, that's a lot. It's asking a lot. But you know what? At least they're in it, and hopefully Carly Lloyd can make some magic happen because I don't think anyone's ready to see her stop playing, and hopefully she can get a few more games. No offense to the Red Stars, no offense to the Thorns or whoever. I think just the idea of getting to see more games, Carly Lloyd. I think I think most people would love to see that. Now, MLS Decision Day is here on Sunday. And before we get to the Decision Day, there was some news in elsewhere in the league. In the Dynamo, the Houston Dynamo, have parted ways with Tab Ramos as head coach. And obviously it's been a rough year, rough two years for Ramos as head coach. You know, you had the pandemic obviously make things unique and challenging, but there's also the fact that he took over a bad team with owners who wouldn't spend a general manager who was considered one of the better general managers in MLS. And he has since lost his job. So it was, it was not an, it was not an ideal scenario and it wasn't an ideal landing spot for a coach going into his first head coaching job. So it it didn't go well. It didn't go well. And I think the unfortunate thing at this point, is the fact that now the Dynamo have a new owner who sounds committed to spending, who's ready to spend. They have a GM in place now in Pat Onstad who, you know, he has the ties to the club. He has the experience in in building a team. And you have those two, two elements that are going to be better than what Tad Ramos had to work with in the previous two years, but he's not going to get a chance to work in that framework. And it's not a surprise really, because you know, if you have a new GM get brought a new GM brought in, new owner brought in, they want they're gonna to want to hire their own guy. That's totally understandable. And not a surprise by any means. Now the part of me would kind of want to see Ramos get the opportunity to to be there for for this change and, and have get a season under the new ownership. I was hoping to see that, to see what he could do with that. But obviously, as I said, you get a new owner, you get a new GM, they're going to want to bring in their own guy, especially considering the team has been continue has continued to be one of the worst teams in the league. So you totally get that change. I hope I want to see where Ramos lands next, what opportunity comes next for him. I don't think we should necessarily write off write him off as a coach and say, oh, you know what, that's it. Maybe he's just a youth coach. I think that's just a little too easy to say. I mean, you could say the same thing about Luchi Gonzalez. I think they're in a similar situation. But with all the openings in the league, I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of either of those guys. I think, you know what, it wouldn't shock me at all if they're both coaching in MLS a year from now. Now it's MLS decision day, and there's so much on the line. Everything except the Supporter Shield is on the line, basically. And the number four seed in the West, I think Portland's got that locked up. But you have some major games, winning your in type situations, and teams that both teams need the win. You have CF Montreal playing host to Orlando City. And basically, if Montreal wins, they are in. They are into the playoffs. And same thing with Orlando. Orlando has, not, has yet to secure their playoff spot. 
Now, if Orlando ties, they win. They're, if Orlando ties, they're in. If and if if Orlando ties, Montreal, I would believe would be out. I believe they would fall short. Uh, yeah, they would actually. They would fall short. So Montreal needs a win. Orlando can could settle for a tie. Although they also want to win to to get a higher seed in the Eastern Conference. Right now, they are sixth. Uh, they're behind Atlanta on a tiebreaker, but a win puts them in an interesting position. Although Atlanta. Credit to, luckily for Atlanta, they're finishing out their regular season at FC Cincinnati, worst team in the league. Um, just to show you how bad since he is and how everyone knows how bad since he is, since he's a plus 310 at home, plus 310 at home, that's a pretty big number. But I think it's, you know, fair to say Atlanta's pretty respected right now and they're minus 145 in that one. You're going to take Atlanta. That's kind of like the gimme, right? Uh, even though they're on the road, I think they're the ones that have everything to play for. Since he has nothing to play for, yes, you could say they have pride to play for. But look, you got to go Atlanta, minus 145. That's easy money for me. But the Montreal game is a huge one. Uh, interesting uh, number here. Orlando City is a plus 230. Uh, and I know they've you know obviously had not the best results down the stretch here. They got a little lucky with some officiating calls go, going their way against Nashville. But plus 230 for Orlando. It's an interesting one. Montreal, no disrespect to Montreal, but I could see Orlando winning in Montreal. So I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go Orlando City. Give me Orlando City plus 230 over Montreal in Montreal. Another big game we have in Nashville. Nashville SC playing host to the New York Red Bulls. Nashville plus 135 at home. Obviously, they have one of the better home records in the league. They have not lost at home all year. Now, they've given up draws. They've drawn half of their home games, which tells you, the New York Red Bulls, they'd be happy. they'll take a point. With a draw, they would be in. They would be in with a draw because then they would they would be guaranteed to be finished ahead of the loser of Orlando Montreal. And if that game ends in a draw, the Red Bulls with a draw would still be ahead of Montreal. So I believe with a point, Red Bulls are in the playoffs. I could be wrong. I'm looking at it here. Yeah, no, Red Bulls are in with a draw. So you know what? Uh, give me the draw plus 195. And I know Nashville is so good at home. But the Red Bulls, man, the Red, Bull, Red Bulls have been, uh, this past two months, I mean, they've just play, been playing really well. And they're a young team, and maybe, you know what, Nashville with more experience, they could they could benefit from that in this last game. But give me the Red Bulls draw in Nashville plus 195. You also next up we have NYCFC and the Philadelphia Union. The uh, NYCFC obviously they they have snapped out of that that funk that they were in, where they had I believe it was one win in nine matches, but they've been on a roll now. They've really started to hit their stride, and they're at home against the Union with a chance to try to jump up. Right now, the NYCFC is fourth in the in the East. Now with a win over the Union, they would actually jump ahead of the Union. So they would be at least third, at least third. Now, if Nashville were to lose, if if NYCFC beats the Union and Nashville happens to lose their first home game of the year, then NYCFC would jump all the way to second. And uh, I think that'd be pretty impressive for Ronnie Dyla's men, especially with the slump that they were in not too long ago. The Union, you know what? They're a good team. I like them, but... Uh, playing at Yankee Stadium, it's a, th- that narrow field. NYCFC has such an advantage there, and I think that's why they're big. They're one, minus 155 uh, pick in this one. I'm going to go with NYCFC in this one, even though I do think the Union can give them a game. And the Union at plus 340 feels a little disrespectful, i got to be honest, for as good a team as the Union are. I mean, the Union are the two-seed in the East, but they're a plus 340? I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. But I still like NYCFC. I think they get it done at home, minus 155. Give me NYCFC. Now, some of these throwaway matches, uh, I almost hate to say throwaway. Now, the Columbus crew, I mean, they're pretty much toast, right? I mean, there's this scenario where if they win and the Red Bulls lose and both games are are multi-goal, like three, at least three goals, basically the crew have to make up a seven-goal difference in goal difference between the Red Bulls and the crew. Seven goals. So that means the Red Bulls have to get blown out 
by Nashville and the crew have to get the, they have to win big against the Chicago fire. Now the crew could absolutely do that against the fire. They could put up three or four, no question. But do we see the Red Bulls losing by multiple goals? That's, you know, that's not something they do. They, they might lose, but they don't lose by multiple goals. So it's basically the defending MLS cup champions are probably toast, even though I think they win and win comfortably minus two thirty is not a, it's not a great number, but, I see the crew winning. I don't see the fire putting up a fight there in the last game. I know there's reports about a bunch of their starters being told they're not being brought back. So they're probably not going to start the last game. So you could have a real patchwork team uh, for the fire crew are going to win that game. But unfortunately for the crew, I have a feeling it's not going to be enough to get them in the playoffs. And you have new England revolution. They're in an interesting spot because they've already broken the record for most points in a season, Right. You could argue, does Bruce Arena want to rest his guys? Does he necessarily even have to with the way the schedule is set up? Do you want to go and try to put another three points on that record-setting total so to make it harder to break? Uh, I, th- I think no matter what team you see out there for the Revs, I think they're going to put up. They're going to they're going to manhandle Inter Miami. Man, my Inter Miami, even at full strength, is not a great team, but they're probably not going to be anywhere near full strength for this last game. I think they're going to be missing quite a few players. And that's why they're plus 700, which is the biggest number of the weekend. I think it's, they're, they're 240, they're, they're plus 240 more than the next biggest underdog, just to show you. So yes, take the revs, minus 340. Obviously, you know what? I wouldn't even bet that because obviously there's, you're not going to make a lot of money there, but the revs are, they're, they're the safest bet of the weekend to win. So it's still, that's, it's not even worth betting, but the, the revs are going to roll in that one, in my opinion. And then the last game in the East, you have TFC against DC United. Uh, DC United will need a lot of help to get in. Um, well, they need the Red Bulls to lose. They need Montreal to lose. And then they need to win this game against TFC. In Toronto, TFC gets the chance to play spoiler. DC United not great at on the road. They've only won two games on the road all season. So I don't see it happening. I see TFC knocking them off. TFC is a plus 170. Give me that. I'll, I'll jump on that as a nice little, you know, Nice little bet uh, in terms of, of the underdogs that I like. I think that's an underdog I do like. Now, getting into the Western Conference where there are some big games. There are some games with a lot riding on the line. Actually, of the six games in the West, only one of them, actually two of them have really nothing on the line. Earthquakes, Dallas, both teams are out of it. It's, you know, at this point, it's the hope, it's the Ricardo Pepe, put Ricardo Pepe in bubble wrap match basically it's like don't let anything happen to him don't even play ricardo pepe because you need him for us mexico obviously fc dallas has got to do what they got to do but still that's the only real thing about this match i think anyone cares about but earthquakes plus 100 give me the earthquakes at home last game wandalowski probably puts in a few goals uh and then you have the timbers who've locked up their spot in the playoffs uh so they don't necessarily have have much to do right now they are the four four seed and they cannot catch third, and they cannot be caught by fifth. So, yes, the Timbers are locked into the fourth seed, so they don't really have anything to play for in this match, although you're at home, you're at Providence Park, you're going to want to win. They're minus 160 against an Austin team that's not really good on the road, and you know, not that they're great at home either, but give me the Timbers, minus 160, decent number. Now, to the games that matter, let's break it down for you. Colorado Rapids at home against LAFC. LAFC needs to win... And they need help to get into the playoffs. They need a win, and they need either an RSL loss or a Vancouver loss. Actually, I think RSL draw or loss and a Vancouver loss or a Vancouver loss. But the first thing, the first part of that's the toughest because the Rapids are one of the best home teams in the league. I think they've only lost at home once all year. And Robert Frazier has his team playing well. So that, that you know what, it's an, it's been a tough year for LAFC and Bob Bradley, obviously. But if they get into the playoffs, they can make some things happen. But th- that's, a, that's a lot to ask for, to go to Colorado and win there. Uh, that's the toughest part. Because I do think RSL loses to Sporting Kansas City. Uh, so I think that part of the deal will work, it, will work out for them. But beating Colorado in Colorado, if, if LAFC does that and if they get in the playoffs... I think that's a that's going to send a big message to everyone that you know what they're ready to knock some teams off and make a run. I don't I don't know you know make a run to the title no, but 
win a few games in the playoffs, which for a team that's had the kind of up and down roller coaster that LAFC had, that'd be a pretty nice ending to the season for them. Next up, Vancouver, Seattle. The Whitecaps have been the real surprise, one of the real surprises of the, of the final uh, months of the season, uh, but they're still not in the playoffs yet. Um, they are currently sixth. They're in a good position, and if they get a draw, they're in. But the Seattle Sounders also have something to play for because they want the top seed in the West. And right now they're in first place in the West by a point ahead of Sporting Kansas City. So with a win, they lock up first place. So they've got a lot play, uh, on the line as well. As much as the Whitecaps have been really a, 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 just a great story here in, in the recent weeks, I, give me the Sounders. The Sounders are, are, are really coming together, getting healthy. Jordan Morris is back. Ladero's back. Rui Diaz is back. I think this is the game Brian Smetcher uses to kind of put all these pieces together, getting them rolling into the playoffs. So I actually think they're going to handle Vancouver. Give me the Sounders plus 140. Even though it's in Vancouver, give me the Sounders to win that one. Last two matches, Sporting Kansas City, Real Salt Lake. As I said, Real Salt Lake win, and they are in. If RSL wins, they're in. But winning in Kansas City, as we know, not an easy task. And Sporting Kansas City still has an outside chance at the top seat. Because if the Sounders slip up, if the Sounders don't win in Vancouver, then Sporting Kansas City can leapfrog them into first place. Uh, SKC is a minus 165 at home. Give me SKC at one minus 165. And then the last game, not the last game, but the, you know, you could argue the biggest game, LA Galaxy, Minnesota United win. And you are in two teams, one spot, the loser more than like, actually, you know what? Look, they could both get in if RSL and LAFC both lose, right? That could still happen, but win and you're in. And when, if Minnesota wins, they lock up the fifth seed in LAFC right now. I, I, maybe this isn't the biggest game. Maybe because, to be fair, I think if they both tie, I think they're feeling pretty good. Because I don't know if anyone sees RSL winning at KC. And I know stranger things have happened, but that's a, for me, that's a real long shot. But I still want to see Minnesota and LA and see... Both these teams can absolutely use a good performance to build some momentum heading into the playoffs because there's been some inconsistency for both these teams. And obviously heading into the playoffs, if LA, perfect example, so the Galaxy, if they're in and there's the last seed, they're playing either Seattle or KC in the first round. And that's, I mean, not it's not, not going to look good for them. I think both Minnesota and the Galaxy are going to be looking to really try to put together a strong performance to get some momentum. Heading into the playoffs, give me the Galaxy. They're at home. Chicharito starting to warm up a little bit. LA Galaxy minus 110. I like that number. Give me the Galaxy. And I think that's that wraps it up for this episode. This is a long episode, and I apologize for that. I know I, I rambled on with the men's national team stuff, and hopefully it wasn't, uh, it, it, you know, hopefully there was something there uh, for you to chew on and to consider. But, yeah, no, it's interesting. The national team, the roster, when it comes down to it, do I agree with all the call-ups? No. Do I do I agree with all the decisions? No. But what I try to do is see the logic behind each decision, right? Why did this guy get called in? Why did this guy not get called in? And, really tr- and, and usually there is an explanation. Usually there is a logical kind of reasoning for it. Now, whether it's a good one or whether it's – one that I would agree with or one that I would, you know, make the same decision? No, not necessarily. But I, I just think people need to consider the why and not just automatically say, oh, this is trash. This is bad. Because when it comes down to it, I mean, I feel like some of these, you know, Chris Richards is there. He has a good chance to start. Joe Scally is in. And then, uh, I know some people, ah, oh, he should have been in October. Whatever. He's in now. He has a chance to really, you know, put it, put his name in pen going forward and really impress Berhalter. There's a lot of good things here to look at in this roster. And I just think there's a way too much hand-wringing about fringe players that have not been proven. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with November. November, it's not going to be easy. Mexico is playing well. They're healthy. They're stacked. They're going to be looking for some revenge. Trust me, Tata Martino was not happy that he lost both finals in the summer. Not at all. 
he's he's gonna not only want to beat the U.S. He's gonna want to put a number on the U.S. Even though it, you know it's at it's in the U.S. It's in Cincinnati. Tata would love nothing more than to put two or three goals on the U.S. and put a comfortable win on the ledger for Mexico. There's some pressure there. Pressure's on Greg Berhalter. You got to get points in this. You got to minimum three points. Minimum three points. You should get four points. Find a way to get four points. If you can get six points, obviously that'd be heaven. But you you want to get you want to at least get four points. You get four points, you're like okay. You know what? That's not bad. That's not bad. Three points, not great, but not the end of the world. Anything less than three points, it's uh, yeah. There's there's some real questions to be asked as we round into the second half of the octagonal. But uh, but I think that wraps it up. I think that we've covered everything there is to cover. I'm going to see if I have to trim down some of this episode and cut out some of my ranting. Probably not. No, I'm not. Who am I kidding? I'm not going to do that. Um, but, yeah, no, I think we got on a lot of topics here. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. I'll have a new episode on Monday. Absolutely, positively, will be one on Monday. The idea for next week is to have the uh, two episodes, Monday and Thursday. Thursday with the, being the, the true preview episode ahead of Friday's U.S.-Mexico game. And, um, obviously, Monday is... The first day of SBI's new subscription setup. For those of you who read SBI and you probably already saw the post, you may or may not have already seen the post where I kind of lay out the details of, of, of what will be the new structure at SBI. We will be a subscription site. There will still be free content, to be clear. There'll still be a lot of this, uh, the, the regular posts, Americans Abroad Rewind, Soccer on TV, uh, news, you know, breaking news. We'll have that. That'll still be available to, to everybody but we are going to have a lot of content that is in the subscriber packages and obviously if, if you choose to subscribe you'll be helping us continue to build the site continue to run the site and hopefully make the site one of the go-to sites in your life for soccer and uh that's really the goal and you know i, I really do think we have a team that can deliver that i'm going to do my part to try to deliver that uh with uh, you know all sorts of americans abroad u.s men's national team insight uh video content's coming as well new podcasts uh with my my crew the sbi the sbi team the sbi editorial team we will be doing a podcast as well so there's a lot coming and uh been working on that for the last few weeks so that you know we're ready to we're just ready to get it going on monday so look out for that but yes the next episode of the sbi show We'll drop on Monday. So look out for that. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Ivis Scalarset. This is the SBI Show.